You are are listening to Making Bank, where we uncover the mindset and success strategies of the top 1% so you can amplify your life and your business. Welcome to Making Bank. I am Josh Felber, where we uncover the mindset and the success strategies of the top 1% so you can amplify your life and your business today. Super excited for today's guest right here in good old Texas, sitting here with Tim Kennedy. He is a rock star dad, entrepreneur, ex-UFC fighter, special forces Green Beret, protector, and doer of things. So I'm excited to welcome Tim Kennedy to Making Bank. Thanks, man. Welcome to the show, dude. Thanks for having me. Appreciate you taking a few minutes and my pleasure. popping over here and seeing what we can rock out for everybody today. My pleasure, my pleasure. So I, I guess, Everybody kind of dives in, like, you know, background and all those kind of things. But I guess, tell me, like, where are you right now today with everything that you have going on? Um, leveraging, pivoting, and turning the biggest corners. You know, it's like uh, of all of the stuff and all of the things and all of the championships and trips overseas, I'm right now taking all of those things and pivoting them to the biggest partnerships and um, kind of like the biggest moves. So just bought a headquarters that I can, nice. I, I am a serial entrepreneur. So I have, <laughs> uh, you know, pushing a dozen companies, uh, all profitable businesses, and I'm sticking all of, well, most of them underneath one roof. Okay. So I'll have like all staff, you know, in, in this nice vertical organization, um, very similar to a military organization where- Go we, figure. Yeah. <laughs> We can effectively, efficiently, and um, much more effectively be able to be productive. Um, So that's all happening right now. That's awesome. And I know you got a ton of stuff going. I mean, you have the school coming out, and which was super awesome because for me, I've we homeschool our kids and everything, and I'm like been trying to figure out. And I looked at Acton Academy and. And, and I'm looking at watching what you guys are doing because I thought, man, I'd love to open one up, put something here, and give something amazing, like selfishly for my kids, yeah. and then doing that. So I guess let's kind of talk a little bit about that because it's super important, I know, to me, and I know it, it seems like it is to yeah, you. Yeah, very important. So I have the same motivation. So I, I was homeschooled. My, my parents realized that the responsibility, the preponderance, uh, the onus of what your child should be like right. rests on the parents shoulders, no one For else's. Sure. Um, it's not your government, it's not the government's job to raise your children to, um, to educate them even to show them what right and wrong looks like, what integrity looks like, what morals look like. That's the parents job. Right. And, um, so I was homeschooled and a lot of our, so did you start out as homeschooled or no, like I'm talking 30 okay, some okay. years ago, I, gotcha. I grew up homeschooled, graduated homeschooled. high school early. Okay. And so like the model of, um, that responsibility being on the family unit right. and not on the government was sure. a big paradigm shift. And that's that was very normal for me to grow up. Back then, it was revolutionary. Oh, yeah. Like that wasn't back really then, happening. it was like my, my mom was a rebel. <laughs> like She was an anarchist right. because she wanted to educate her own children. And uh, now it's like, a, it's not yet the way that it should sure. be where it's embraced by everyone. And, you know, I still have to pay property taxes to pay for the school that none of my children go to and that they'll never go to. Right. Um, none of the families you know, so like school choice where eventually I'm confident that we'll do the right thing for, not that politicians will ever do the right thing for their constituents, but they'll do the most right thing, which is school choice. My The money that I pay is gonna go towards educating, educating my child. Right. Um, and uh, so 
of the families that we have in there, there's a lot of families like yours that were homeschooling, that were, hey, we're, we're getting to a, a level where I need expert educators, but I still want that level of control. I still want okay. buy-in. And that's what this is. You know, when we're scrutinizing the families that are applying, and we had over a thousand families apply. Wow. Um, that's great. <laughs> we turn 95% of them away. Um, we are looking for families like homeschooler right first biggest check and that means like parents are bought in the process of their child's success yeah oh yeah we, we call the children heroes in our schools because they're on a hero's journey cool. um so like that's the first thing is like we want to awesome. see involvement but it's a, it's a weird involvement involvement it's not like the helicopter parent where mm, you know if they're yeah. asking how often do i see a report card is it daily is it weekly and we're like so this may not be the school for you. Um, there's probably not going to be a report card for the year. Right. You know, they're like, I'm, I'm sorry, what? Like, we're, we're playing a long game. We're, 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 we're shaping a mind and having them think like an individual that is going to be self-sufficient and, and individually responsible. That they're going to, that, that own hero is going to take buy-in into the process and That's realize awesome. how important it is. You know, my, my six-year-old, I'm, I'm a brag for a second, you know, as he plays lacrosse and he plays hockey and he plays the piano, he speaks fluent Spanish. You know, he's reading, cool. he's six yeah. and he's reading all the Harry Potter books. Sure. You know, he, he reads all of the Greek um, <laughs> the horror, horror stories, I'll call them horror <laughs> stories. And he's six. Yeah. You know, and, and it's not for any other reason besides like, he just gets it. He's in control, and when you give the reins to to them, and the sky's the limit, they'll do anything. I think it's it's one of the the worst travesties, is what we've done in education to the children. It's we've we've handcuffed them. Oh yeah, and uh, that's they're capable of so much more, and uh, they need movement, they need room, they need things to play on, and things to climb, and things to break. And if you're not built, if you, you haven't built an environment that's conducive to that. You're just you're just doing damage to the child. No, I agree. I mean, that was our kids started in Montessori, and then it only went up to I don't know, like second grade. Yeah. So we're like, well, what are we gonna do? Yeah. But it was for me, it was great, and my wife because we're like, cool, we can create that curriculum that they want. You know, they can get outside, they can do all the kind of stuff, they can play, and then they're only spending a few minutes learning the things that they need to kind of learn. Mm -hmm. But it's all they're all doing it themselves, mm -hmm. and then they just have we have somebody that kind of just helps oversee and if they get stuck on something, helps them ask the right kind of questions so they can try to figure it out yeah, themselves. Very Socratic, I love and it, so, I love it. Um, and so that's what really attracted me to what, looking and seeing what you guys were doing and like, man, this is super cool, but you're actually putting something in place yeah. and, and in there. So one of the things that you mentioned, you know, with your kids and learning and reading books, I think is huge. I know my daughter loves it, I mean, she reads a book every other day kind of a thing and all that you know all the harry potters and yeah. warrior cats and all yeah. their, all those out there and on the other hand my boys are twins and so they they listen to audiobooks but they would rather go out and do and start fires with a magnifying glass yeah. and you know all those kind but if you were in a normal school environment you wouldn't be doing any of that and so what um obviously you guys are turning down 95 percent of the people what type of kids slash families are you guys looking for to be able to bring in? Yeah, I love how you separated those two. So the hero and the family are two individual things that we look at in, in the accepting process. Sure. So Alexis Dries is our head of school and we, the, the guides, which 
schools called teachers, but we don't have teachers. These guides, they're okay. there in the studios, not classrooms. And so in the studio, we kind of handpick, we want this perfect chemistry where it's almost this beautiful nucleus of energy. Okay. And uh, the guide is only there to keep that energy focused in the right direction. And gotcha. we are a Socratic school that's learner driven. So what does that mean? Socratic means that the guide doesn't know all the answers. She does, but she's not preaching or teaching them. Right. She's guiding them to find the answers themselves. Find the answers themselves. That's the learner-driven part. Yep. Like if they don't want to find the answers, they're never going to find the answers. Right. So the guide's <laughs> job is to motivate them and know which questions to ask every single individual that is going to inspire them and encourage them to want to do it themselves. And like if they want to grab a magnifying glass and go outside and set fire, <laughs> what question are you going to ask as a guide that is going in, in the current quest that they're in? So we, we in, in a quest, we have like this event. We're trying to learn for science. Okay. Um, how is energy transferred? Right. Right. You have conduction, you have absorption, you have convection. So if this is our science model, can I not just hand a magnifying glass to somebody and say, okay, well, here's one form of it. What are other ways that I can get this fire to start? Mm. So if I take this, this, <clears throat> this lighter and I bring it here, so if I put my hand over, that's convection. If I put it next to it, that's radiating heat. If I touch something and it transfers the heat through it, that's radiating sure. heat. Like all of that is the process of doing. And uh, that's, that's what we're doing is we let go of the reins and they take the reins and they ride the horse. That's awesome. And with that, you know, I guess how are you selecting the families? Because that I know I yeah. brought that back initially and then we talked about the kids. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's, it's, it's through that process. It's, it's looking at the families, seeing who's bought in, and then the children, okay. the heroes, which ones want to do it. Gotcha. Like if they don't want to be there, they won't. Yeah. The, it, we, have the, we have the wrong, we have a recipe for disaster. And right. in most studios, you'll spend 90% of your time on 1%. And sure. if we limit what those problems, what those future friction points would be by being very particular, and we can at this point. And, uh, you know, I want everybody to apply, but it's not for everybody. Sure. And it, going and reading Laura and Jeff Sandifer's book and understanding yep. what Socratic education looks like, what was the foundation of Acton. So we're, even though we are an Acton school, our model is, you, you mentioned Montessori, um, we are gonna be a balance between the liberal practice of classical education okay. and the Socratic approach. So our studios, studios are Socratic, it is learner driven, but our, our guides are a variety of different educators and mm. um, I don't think a single hero learns the same way. Right. Like you go into my household and I have a 19 year old, an 18 year old, a six year old, and a one year old. The, the one year old is chaos. <laughs> and she is going to be that way forever. Right. She came out of the womb that way and she's going to go back into the dirt that way. Just chaos, mayhem, and anarchy. And she has to do, and that's how she learns. Sure. And that's fine. The six year old. Um, with his high cheekbones, just like his mom, he can sit down and he like look at music and language are the same in his brain, mm. you know, regardless if it's Italian or French or Portuguese um, or Spanish, it's just like meh. He just get he gets whatever, it. Yeah. yeah. And then it's like notes is that you know quarter note, half note, like it doesn't matter. It's just another <laughs> language, and, you know. And then there's like my big girls who couldn't even be more different. So it's right. And why hasn't a school ever made the center of gravity? where every decision that's made off what is the best way to help this hero learn? 
Like how has that not been the motivation of how we run a school? Sure. That's not the motivation, no, it's not. right? It's like whatever the current hot button topic is and propaganda or what is the current initiative from the government yeah. or what is the teacher into right now or what is the school into right now or what is the community into right now? I don't care about any of that stuff. Yeah, None matter. of that matters. What is the best thing for the hero? Yeah. How do you, th- I mean, do you see this or how do you see this? Because obviously with the way education is now, I mean, across America, it's not in the right direction. So, I mean, do you see multiples of these opening up? Do you, you you know, I've had no less than a hundred requests to franchise. Okay. And, um, until I have a proof of concept where this is perfect. Right. Um, once I know what's perfect and then I'll model what's perfect and that construct I'll be able to hand off. I don't need to make money off of educating the next generation. Um, I just need to ensure that the next generation is educated. Right. All right. So <laughs> yeah. um, the right way. <laughs> yeah. There's no position in this where I'm like, all right, I want to make some money here. It's like, how can I force multiply mm-hmm. as a green beret? My job is to be a force multiplier. Right. How can I do that with this? And, um, it was an early identification of a problem of holy crap. We are in, we're, we're looking into the eyes of what I think is the worst moment in Americans education in our history and say, okay, what are our solutions? What are our options? And this was the closest and first thing that I could do in trying to find a solution. No, I think it's awesome what you guys are doing. What, so uh, obviously you own multiple other businesses and everything and kind of being the, the guy that's here and, and doing that. How do you manage your time? Cause obviously you're like, cool, we got four o'clock and you're busy and you got things happening. And then you got family and you got to spend time with family and then run, would you say a dozen businesses mm-hmm. now? So a dozen businesses. I mean, I know I've owned 15 companies since I was 14 years old. So I know from a time blocking and different things like that, that I've utilized, but I'm curious what you do and how you've applied that. I could pull out like some program apps that we use for you know time efficiency stuff and um, even our organizational and task management and task organization, you know, we, we I have it right here, which is attached to me 24 seven. Um, I'm okay. vertically organized in an in inverted pyramid with um, the dissemination of power down to the lowest level where okay. I want the first, the, the, with clear communication and a clear direction, knowing the end state and knowing what their lane is, they don't need oversight. I know that sounds groundbreaking, right? right? But they don't. Sure. And, and anytime that you are injecting yourself into an individual's work. Like if they're doing the right stuff, can I come in here and like make small adjustments? Absolutely. Or can any portion of their chain of command, right. any of their management come in there and make adjustments? Absolutely. But do I have to get in there? No. I want to be, I want to have it disseminated to the lowest level where I can just take my hands off and let them go. And so there's a, there's a huge degree of that where I have trust, where I'm putting in the right people. But then on my part, you know, at the top, there's there's kind of like the executive team. And from that from that executive suite going down, I have an executive director, Justin Lake, and I know that's a, mm-hmm. a nonprofit term, but we run a lot of our companies like a military organization, like a nonprofit. Okay. And um, so he, as the executive director, has the same authority as me, and then underneath him, he has directors. And each okay. of those directors for Sheepdog Response, we have a director of training. He's the highest. So all of the other things fall underneath the director of training because the most important thing in that business is the training. training. Sure, we have products. You know, sure, we provide services, um, security services, uh, escort services, um, armed services. All of those things 
And not to, not to escort services. <laughs> yeah, like a bunch of dudes in black with black cars right. that are bulletproof and machine guns. That kind of escorting. Yeah. So, and, you know, from we're coming out with our own slings, our own gun belts, our own magazine pouches. But like the most important thing mm -hmm. is our training. Sure. So like the most important person is the director of training. Right. So he's the one that sits at the top and everybody else falls underneath them. Okay. So that's how everything is. So like what is the center of gravity for that company? And then the person that is the most important in that is going to be the manager of everything else. Gotcha. Okay. Um, a lot of companies, I think, do it backwards where they take the role first and they take that role and put a leadership person in there. Sure. But that person first and foremost needs to know what is the most important thing that they do, whether it's a product or a service. Right. And we're training. For that, yeah, for that company yeah. That, yeah, yeah. that you're doing. No, that makes sense. I mean, obviously from a training standpoint, then that would disseminate down. And like one question is, so you have this person down here and they're doing X, Y, and Z. How do you get them, or I guess, how do you know that they're doing the right thing? Or, yeah. or how, how do you know you're hiring that right person to do that right thing and that's what they're going to focus on? Yeah. A people, plan, and purpose. Okay. Those are like the three things that I'm, I'm always looking for. So people, like the, the culture, the personality, the energy, the positivity. Right. Like you're just looking at the person. You, you look a lot of, about them. Are they fit? Do you know, is there, is there mustache like all topsy-turvy? <laughs> you know, if like... Do they take care of themselves? Do they take care of their car? Do they have take care of their hands or their like? Just right. looking at a person, you get a lot. You know, it's it's tragic. When do you ever look at like the mug shots from the protests? I've seen them. Yeah, Actually, do they I just look, saw the ones from Disney that you posted? All the another great like, example. The trafficking. Yeah, a whole bunch Disney. of human traffickers like, and pedophiles. <laughs> do did any of those images of those people look like good people? <laughs> no, right? They yeah. look like trash. You're like, yeah, I can see how they could all be 100%, part of that. 100%, right? How did they get in Disney? You right. know what I <laughs> or you, you pull up from like Portland, Oregon from like one of the protests. Right. And you look at a hundred different mug shots and you're like, woo, these yeah. people have problems. Um, whether it's mental health issues or drug problems sure. or, you know, whatever it is, like clearly just that person. So there's the first one. The, per the people. The people, right. Purpose is, um, does their purpose align with my purpose? Mm. Um, do they need to agree with me in politics? Absolutely not. Right. You know, do they need to um, have the same philosophy or religious perspective as me? No. But do they have the same purpose as me? Mm. And, uh, and with every company, we have a clear purpose. And actually, there's this big Venn diagram. And all of my companies, right in the center of it, is like my purpose. And everything okay. that I do is connected to my purpose. That's to protect and preserve human life and expand freedom. Right. That's what I was put on this planet to do. And like, if I'm not doing those things, then I'm doing something wrong. Sure. And I know what happens when I do wrong things. Like when I look, start looking at the dollar signs or I start looking at you know, the pretty ring girl. Any of those moments, right. I'm moving away from my circle. Mm. You know, and I have to stay in my circle for things to stay right. right. Um, so I got the purpose, I have the people, and then I have the plan. Okay. So like what, when I'm doing an interview and I just hired a new executive assistant, and I said, what is your plan for me? How are you going to do me better? How are you going to make my life simpler? How are you going to, what is your plan? Sure. You know, and like in two seconds, they either came in with a plan or they're shooting from the hip and they didn't have one, you know? And like, if you're walking into an interview for a position and you didn't come in with a plan, <laughs> that is going to be a testament to all of the other things that you're going to do. Right. Right. Like 
Um, so I use this color-coordinated calendar, and um, for s stuff specific to you, it's going to be you know in this you know in your business deals, it's going to be this entrepreneurial, philanthropic, it's going to be this. Your travel is going to be this. And I was like, hmm, legit, <laughs> you know, uh, cool. Like, All right, this works. <laughs> this, <laughs> yeah. Um, maybe maybe it's not the best plan, but you had At a least plan. You had something, right? Yeah, for sure. And so like, uh, man, in. When my wife and I were first investing in businesses, we used the same model. Okay. Do you have a plan? You as a purpose, mm. and what is you as a person? Right. You know, and, and we did really, really, really well investing just off of that three criteria. Um, let me see your business plan. Let me look at you as a person. And then what is your purpose? Mm. Interesting. Your purpose is money? Yeah, you know your your purpose is to have a cool car and to have the notoriety of being a CEO of this company or hey I'm gonna go public you know our IPO is gonna be in you know blah 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 I'm gonna sell it I'm gonna exit at this is like homie <laughs> you're like not for me that's not purpose <laughs> right what do you think that's purpose yeah no that's you know and I think a lot of people they don't see that they see that part of it and that's kind of the flashy and they're like oh okay cool I want to be part of that next billion dollar, you know, venture or yeah. whatever it might be, but there's no stickiness to it. There's no, you know, I guess what why why are you why are you really doing this? What's yeah. behind it? And the success so. comes you're you're going to fall off the train. Um oh, yeah. being business is hard. <laughs> being an entrepreneur is hard and when you're like if you're if you think just like the gym. If you're going to pull up a Jocko Willink or uh, a Goggins post and think that that's gonna motivate you to do your next workout, you're kidding yourself. Right. Ultimately, discipline and regimen is gonna be the thing that's gonna drive through, and that comes from purpose. Sure. Right, like purpose to be able to provide for my family, to be able to protect my family, to be able to be the best version of myself. Like, that's purpose. Right. But like, if I'm looking for, I want a beach bod so I can go get laid, like, that's, maybe it will get you through the summer season? <laughs> yeah. But you're gonna have kidney and liver failure as <laughs> soon the as the winter yeah. gets here. So you mentioned motivation isn't really, a, but it's more about discipline. Maybe expand on that a little because everybody's always like, "There's the motivational speakers out there, yeah. and there's oh yeah, I got to get motivated and get out there today. Yeah. I go do these motivational <laughs> like people pay me to come in as a motivational right. speaker, you know? And I come in, I was like, "All right, so I got great news. I got not so great news. The great news is." I'm here and you guys are here and we're going to have fun. The not so great news is this is not going to be motivational. I'm going to talk about discipline. I'm going to talk about regimen. If you don't do these things, you're all going to fail and you're just here wasting your time. So if you don't think that you're capable of discipline or the regiment that goes along with discipline, get up and leave. And there's like, I'm sorry, what? You know, like do, does, to the level of extreme ownership, do you need to wake up at 430 in the morning? No. Um, is there, I don't think anybody could look at my life and be like, that guy is not the most psychotic disciplined person. Um, from calendar to workouts to my shooting to like grappling, right. I apply that formula to whatever I'm doing and mm. there's success in it, period. And so maybe let's break down that formula a little bit because I mean, discipline and I mean, what, I mean, how is that to you and how do you apply that? Yeah, I mean, if, if you just like, I've actually never Googled the word discipline. I, mean, I can think of a bunch of synonyms, but like discipline is, um, is a process and a commitment, or a commitment to a process. Okay, sure. And um, 
purpose helps with that. Right. Personality helps with that. You know, but but really discipline is it's what can I do to ensure from point A to point Z, all the twenty four letters in between, stay on course, stay on track. Mm. Okay. Um, so today, I got my workout in. A horrible um, blood flow restrictive um, be strong BFR workout with Shane and Sean. Had nine calls. Got my grappling in. Um, did my recovery for um, in rehab for my knee. Um, three big business deals. Got with the fire marshal to finish my fire inspection to get into my headquarters starting tomorrow. All of that was planned out. Right. And then it was executed in like 30 minute blocks of time. And um, you know, like one call went over, which brought me here 15 minutes late, uh, which is gonna push you know me missing dinner with the family by 20 minutes. Um, so I'm gonna hear about that later. You know, it's so like e- even with like the most disciplined approach, where I'm still in a in a industry of humans, right? And uh, <laughs> so there's imperfection there. <laughs> but no, I mean it's interesting, like you know, applying discipline to it. Then, and hey, you know, my purpose, what you know, drives me, and that provides me with the ability to get from A to Z, like you said, and continue to go after day in and day out. Because people think, oh, well, I have to have that motivation to continue to stay in and day out, but it's the discipline that continues to move you day in and day out. Yeah, I I mean, you look at um, anything or anyone that has ever applied discipline to that thing, and the the net gain is undeniable. Sure. Right. Um, whether that's your marriage, I'm gonna be intentional in what I do, how I speak, um, what I'm gonna do with my time, how I treat her, how I touch her, all of those things. Like, can I be disciplined in my marriage? Mm. Yeah. 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 Like, can I be romantic? Yeah. I can. I can be intentional in that way. Sure. I, I know it's discipline sounds like I'm taking the romance out of it, and uh, but like it's so important. Um, can I be a disciplined father where I'm going to be present at their lacrosse games and their mm. hockey games? Am I going to be there on the side of the glass? And the moment that he gets from his learned skate time to his hockey time, I'm sitting there with a stick. Not a minute later where he's like, hey, dad, can I have my stick? It's like, here's your stick, man. <laughs> like, it's because I'm there and I'm present. I'm watching the clock. Right. You know, I was like, you know, if, if you're turning left, you want the outside foot to be in the lead. You know, I was, so I wouldn't know that. Like, I didn't. I grew up in California, you know, on the coast. <laughs> Not much going on. But if out I didn't there hear his, yeah. if I didn't hear the coach tell him that, then I wouldn't be there to support him in that. And on the business side, like if, if I'm not disciplined in my calendar, if I'm not disciplined with my time sucks, if I'm not disciplined on my calls, if I'm not disciplined disciplined with my communication and emails, then like, you think you're going to be successful there? Yeah. No. Grappling, shooting. I mean, name a modality that if you're not applying discipline to it, you're just underachieving. Sure. Like you could be John Jones or Anderson Silva, all the talent in the world, but like they became champions when they got into a fight team mm, that yeah. was surrounded with disciplined leaders. Very true. Um, so to rewind for a minute now, <laughs> what? So you grew up homeschooled. Mm-hmm. Along that journey, you got into martial arts, UFC found the military, yeah. so kind of take us a little bit Ooh. <laughs> I mean, this is on that journey for the people that, there's probably a little bit, maybe 1% that don't know who you are, but. 
Um, I have a book coming out and writing all of this down is unbelievable. People are just gonna be like in denial um, because it's so fantastic. Awesome. Um, When's the book coming out? Do you know yet? I have, a, I have a delivery manuscript date of October. Oh, wow. So okay. early next year, by the time we clear DOD. Um, For approval. Yeah, the hurdles of, wait a second. <laughs> Are you sure he was dead when you, sh- I don't know. Um, the, so homeschooled, very, very early, like kindergarten. Um, they recognized when I was duct taped to a chair and belted to a desk that I probably would not do well in a proper school. Um, I was paddled by the principal, um, and I was just a. It was kind of normal back then. It was, yeah. <laughs> you know, well, it was normal oh, for us. Screw up, yeah, for us. Yeah. You screw up. Oh, hey, go see the principal. Yeah. It's paddle time. <laughs> yeah, and they have a ping pong paddle drilled with holes, with so holes it in it, whizzed. or a board with the uh-huh. holes in it. <laughs> um, that they had to do something different. So uh, they took me home, homeschooled me, skipped a couple of grades to keep me kind of active and present. Okay. Um, so I ended up graduating from high school super early. I was like seven or eight years old when m- my dad and mom started, because we were homeschooled, and at the time, homeschooled kids were not allowed to participate in any sports. Right. So I could only be in club <clears throat> sports. So I played club volleyball, I played club basketball, I played club wrestling. Um, And it's funny, like fighting in the UFC, people are like, wait, where did you wrestle? You know, and it was like, well. The club. Yeah, I was was in wrestling club. You know, like, what wrestling club? Did you go to state? And I was like, well, I wasn't allowed to go to state, you know? Um, It was always this really weird, awkward conversation. And it was was always that way. So martial arts started, first karate and then you know taekwondo like every Mm -hmm. kid starting and then i found japanese jiu-jitsu and i fell in love with it and then um, i got heavy into brazilian jiu-jitsu and wrestling um and that was ultimately what kind of led to fighting was uh the brazilian jiu-jitsu and japanese jiu-jitsu Back then, I had to drive two hours to find a purple belt. And to say there wasn't probably a whole lot of no. jujitsu. I had to drive from Central California to Santa Barbara wow. to train with a purple belt. <laughs> um, like now, in my company, I have ten black belts. Right. You know, yeah. my gym, I have a dozen <laughs> black belts. So it's it's a little different now. But back then, it was it was like it was crazy. So Chuck Liddell and Gan McGee and Scott Adams and. Uh, Jason Vaughn flew. Um, they were all from my hometown. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, and um, they're a few years older than me, and, and I was training with them, which in Hawaiian Kempo, which is like kickboxing, and um, that was the segue into fighting. Mm. Was kind of through just osmosis. Okay. Was present there, and I was fighting, and in grad school when 9/11 happened, and when 9/11 happened, I walked to the recruiter's office and tried to join the Navy SEALs. Um, they wanted me to go through OCS, and uh, the Marines wanted me to enlist as a rifleman. They couldn't proper, they couldn't, pro, they couldn't ensure that I would get a slot to go to um, those pre-MARSOC, so to recon, which is to be a recon Marine. And uh, and Army was like, well, we got this 18 X-ray program where, uh, and he was just grinning, same grin that you have, where uh, we'll take you in, and you get a shot to go to Special Forces Selection if your scores are high enough. And they loved it because, you know, 
eight out of a hundred get selected. Okay. And the other ninety-two <clears throat> are at needs of the army. Ah, so push back to any yeah. job, whether you're going to Korea as an eleven Bravo, or you're going to EOD, or you're going to civil affairs, or you're going to psych ops. Um, they just had this huge pool of people that they could promise a slot to special force selection. <laughs> and uh, you know, you had to have a G GT score of like 115 or something and, uh, and then pass a, a test that showed that you had a propensity to speak a language. Interesting, because I mean, for me, I had actually um, depthed into the Navy SEALs a year before 9-11 and was, had like, I think 18 months, I was training yeah. up to it. And I, my SEAL motivator was out of Oklahoma and I was in Ohio, but, so I worked up to it and I ended up blowing out my ACL. <sighs> and rehab, I had gotten an age waiver because I was 26 at the time, rehab my knee, Ran a marathon, was working out, CrossFit and everything. Went back, applied again, and yeah. they said no, no Makes go sense. on the knee. Yeah, so that was my close. Of, yeah, <laughs> but so, but it was interesting. So that's why when I, you're talking about all of this, I was like, oh, oh yeah, I remember the whole process. It's a process. Go, oh yeah, it's uh, and, it's way harder to get in the military than it is to get into college. Yeah, I mean, way harder. Oh yeah. Um, that at no point does any university ever drug drug test me. Um, you know, right. And at no point did they make a me take, physical standard. Yeah. Or, or a language test or, yeah, language, yeah. um, take not just the entrance exam, but then break the entrance, that entrance exam into subcategories and require scores from your general technical knowledge. Like, do you know the difference between if I showed you a picture of a transmission to a combustion motor, <laughs> like, is that a piston or is that a wrench? Right. You know, like there's a lot of people that. Wouldn't know. It's just that little picture. Yeah. <laughs> those, that, those are things. Right. You have to know the difference. Yep. So, and, and, and no, I mean, it, it just brings me back when you're talking. My buddy, we both actually went in at the same time, and he, he made it through, and he's with the teams and everything. That's and awesome. That too. And uh, he's actually in Chicago now. I think he's got five years left, he said. Chicago? <laughs> yeah, he's hanging out in Chicago for the next five years. Lucky guy. <laughs> Not. Get me out of that place. <laughs> yeah. That's why when you, uh, last time I was down here and you're like, hey, we might be looking for, I messaged him. He's like, ah, hey, let me get these five years done. Yeah. <laughs> Bitcoin, cryptocurrency, NFTs, investing is all an ever-changing landscape these days. And for me, the Modern Finance Podcast hosted by Kevin Rose is a great place to listen to the latest trends in crypto and brush up on the fundamentals. Crypto isn't for everyone till you listen to Modern Finance. Modern Finance is the crypto show for the novice and expert alike. Their mission is to demystify crypto and the world of NFTs without dumbing it down. True Venture partner Kevin Rose interviews top tech experts and entrepreneurs exploring the modern finance tools and helping others understand crypto, NFTs, and even traditional finance hacks. Modern Finance offers two shows on a single podcast feed, one weekly consensus episodes, that explores weekly news and distills it into digestible information. And then the deeper interviews, which I love, with individual crypto founders and NFT artists. Don't let your crypto guy friend be the life of the party. By listening to Modern Finance, you will feel well-equipped to discuss and understand the crypto and NFT landscape. Feel informed about your investments and don't miss out on the next big thing in crypto or NFTs. Join Kevin Rose on the Modern Finance Podcast every single week so you don't miss a beat. 
10 years ago, some people called cryptocurrency a scam. Five years ago, people thought it was a fad. And now it's already over a trillion dollar market and growing. The Modern Finance Podcast helps you make sense of all the coins, NFTs, and chaos. Now is the time to equip yourself with the knowledge of where things are going. The financial landscape is harder than ever to navigate, but you don't have to do it alone. Download and subscribe to Modern Finance wherever you listen to podcasts. That's Modern Finance wherever you listen to podcasts. Don't be the last person on the next train out. Listen to Modern Finance and get ahead of the future of finance. Back military, UFC, what was, I mean, obviously with the towers coming down, was that kind of that trigger to move into the military or did you already plan to do that? Um, so I was going to school, point. I wanted to go work for the FBI. At okay. the time, uh, there was a serial killer in San Luis Obispo named Rex Krebs and he would hang outside of bars and when girls would walk home, he would kidnap them, he would take them home, he'd rape them until they're dead, and then bury them, not till they're dead, they're alive, and then he'd bury them alive in a 50 gallon drum. Um, and I remember, yeah. Evil. Was, oh, yeah. Super well, evil. We had Bath, Ohio, yeah. Dahmer, so it was yeah. right around the corner from me. And, yeah, like fr- <laughs> from, from the Dahmers um, to, you know, Mason to Rex Krebs, mm-hmm. that was the, 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 I think, the most tangible form of evil. And I was like, God, that's like, how can a human do that to another human? Sure. I want to fight that, whatever that is. And then I was sitting at a desk at a dot-com e-commerce as a first-year grad student. And I watched Americans, countless, I don't know how many, look out a window, mm. and look back inside yeah. to the burning building and be like, do I jump to my death or do I burn alive? And I, and I, thousands. Oh yeah. Thousands. And it was that point where I was like, that's a different kind of evil. I don't know what that is. I've never seen that evil before, but this is new. This is new to me. It wasn't a homemade bomber guy. No. Yeah. This isn't like some creep creep dude with a trench coat out in the woods somewhere. This was like a calculated evil that was massive in scale. Sure. And I wanted to find that and I wanted to shoot it in the face and I wanted to put it in the dirt. And so that is what brought me on 9-11 to the recruiter's office. So. so obviously, I mean, you've been deployed, you've gone on a lot of tours, like everything. The, evil, the level, I guess, of evil that you've seen there, because right, 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 with everything right now crazy in the United States and everything else, who knows what, where yeah. things are going right now. But the level of evil over there I mean, do you feel there's bleed back into what's into the United States right now, no. or is it? No, these are just still... idiots. Yeah, we spend so much time talking about these these outlier point zero one percent of these crazy fractions sure. from the far right to the far left, and they're both idiots. They're like they they both came from the same zoo and they're the same creepy animal. <laughs> Nobody pays attention to them, but for some reason, all of the optics and every single camera and every single news station, every social media, uh, because of whatever algorithms and matrix they use to, to drive traffic, right. like all of the lenses are pointed towards them. Mm. They're, they're, it's a tiny, minuscule amount of idiots. Right. Um, and none of them, as dumb as they are 
and as clueless as they are, none of them understand really what evil or violence looks like. Sure. Like you're gonna put on a piece of plastic and, and um, some airsoft stuff and go down to Portland and, and set a federal building on fire. You know, like I tracked down dudes that took acid and threw it on little girls' faces because they're mm. going to school. Like, yeah. bro, you're an amateur. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> right. I know you feel really <laughs> tough and you know, you're like making a difference and like every action matters and like you keep going. Like you're just, you're, you're pathetic. I, I pity you. Um, let me tell you about evil, and uh, we put those dudes in the dirt. You know, like it's it's funny people get on social media and they're like, yeah, "You're just a cog in the wheel to the military-industrial complex." Do you feel like this this pawn? To, and I was like, "Bro, you don't know what I do. You know, like <laughs> you have no idea the things that we have done to to promote humanity." Yeah, and and so for from special forces, Green Beret. Because, I mean, they're the elite, like Navy SEALs, you know, the, the Green Berets. We're better. <laughs> Way better. Okay. They're better. Yeah. So. Like Navy SEALs, <laughs> and like Army Special Forces. So we're clear. Actually, and one of the guys that used to work out at my CrossFit gym, he, he went SF. And he's with, he's with him now, Aaron, uh, Aaron Wiseman and everything. And so he's loving it. Yeah. And all it's that. a great job. So it's, Greatest job in the world. With that, though. What do you guys do different over there compared to the other like elite units and yeah. everything? So every special operations unit has its own little piece of the pie and, and ours is irregular warfare. Okay. So our job in unconventional warfare is the, the, the art, the practice of working with locals. Okay, so sure. Kind of the Socratic approach, like my school, <laughs> we're force multipliers. Right. Um, you t- can take 12 of us, which is Special Forces ODA called the A-Team, and you can take us and drop us into anywhere. And we're going to learn the culture. We already know the language. Um, we understand like the economic structure and maybe even the government structure. And we're going to find the groups that align with us in purpose and philosophy, okay. and then we're going to enable them to fight their own wars. Um, think about the French resistance in World War II, and like how effective they were in such a, like in such a very, like how small they were, and right. how painful they were to the Germans. You know, yeah. and um, you look at Che Guevara, like what a piece of shit, but underfunded, communist prick, but he was using guerrilla warfare tactics in an unconventional warfare way, and very, very effectively. So there's good and bad examples of unconventional warfare. Right. We try to stay on the good side of it. Uh, not, we're not perfect. Uh, we have trained people that we shouldn't have that then later became bad people. Bad people that we had to go and train other people to go and kill, but it all worked out in the end. Um, so like that, that we do. No one else does that mission like us. Okay. Um, nobody by with and through, by our allies with them mm. and through them. Like okay. those are, uh, we advise, we assist, and we accompany. Like these are very different things. And this isn't like, yes, I can kick in a door, throw a flashbang, and shoot a bad guy in the corner as a number two guy that goes the other way. You know, like I can teach a monkey to do CQB. Um, th- this is like building governments and developing relationships that have a legacy. Like an infrastructure. So you're building teams of infrastructure people to... Yeah. Kind of to yeah. do your job there when you're gone, but we never leave. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I mean, like if Russia pulls the the German tactic and does the blitz okay. all through Eastern Europe, and um, 
Do you think that they're going to do that without resistance? No. No. Who's going to resist them? We have. Yeah, we have Eastern Ukraine, Europe, we have Czech Republic, that, yeah. and uh, Romania. Like, do you think that they learn the resistance tactics like from a manual? You know, like, <laughs> who do you think is training them? Is the manual. Yeah. You know, you're like, I wonder what the French did back in 1943. Right. You yeah. know, they're like, no, there's there's some there's some really handy dudes that this is all they've done their whole entire adult life is war. So uh, the art of resistance in the unconventional warfare is, is, is this ever-changing, like, and that's the thing that, dra- that like, draws me to it okay. is it changes shape every year. And, like, the approach, you know, like, um, how am I going to get through the, the dome that is communication where, you know, if Russia and China start knocking out satellites or they mm. start blocking all frequencies where cellular or <clears throat> FM, AM are all blocked, like, how am I going to communicate to higher? How am I going to communicate internally with all of my um, other organizations and the cellular pragmatic sure. fighting force that we have? Um, so cool. So... <sighs> Obviously, going over there, fighting, seeing evil, coming back here. How, from a mindset or a, I guess, a mental standpoint, like how do you manage that? How do you? I I know people have had a hard time coming home. Sure. And um, I don't understand that. Because uh, I mean, you're super optimistic and positive yeah. and. And so that's why I'm just curious, you know, what is that change for you or what do you do? First, I really wanted to be there. Okay. You know, that, that's a different thing than a, than a cook or a mechanic mm. or a driver that's just like cruising down the road, the bomb goes off, and, and now he just watched his friend lose his face. Mm. You know, he got burnt and his legs like fell off. Now he's an amputee. Sure. You're like, I went over there wanting to shoot people. Right. You know, I was like, how many times do I need to raise my hand to volunteer to go over there and do this thing? So the mindset was a little bit different. Um, coping mechanisms are, are the ways that we're able to deal with external stress. Right. And, um, you know, there, there's myriads of coping mechanisms and this litany of them. You know, you have, you know, like your family unit, you have your immediate family, you have your education level, you have your health, you have any addictions, how often you sleep, how often you have sex. All of these things enable us to be able to handle stress more efficiently or less efficiently. Sure. Um, I have an amazing family. I have an amazing um, immediate family. Uh, you know, like my family unit is, is strong. My businesses are successful. I stay very, very fit. I don't use any drugs. I don't drink. You know, I don't. I have a great night's sleep. You know, like have amazing rad sex and I pass <laughs> out. Like all the things that right. make you a very functional, highly functional human. Right. So then, like, <clears throat> sure. Do I think back to the horrors that happened in war? And they're horrors. Um, yeah, you know, but like I can health in a healthy way talk through them and deal with them. And, uh, and, and so, I don't know, maybe that's what's different. And, and discipline come, is a big part of it, I think. Okay. To prevent post-traumatic stress. Like I went over there as a very, very high-level professional athlete mm. in graduate school. You know, like I went over there as a high functioning person that stayed healthy, that didn't use drugs. You know, I'm not taking a fentanyl lollipop and be like, oh, that was a rough mission. You know, like uh, I didn't go back to the barracks. There were instances where I made mistakes and, um, you know, had a bad mission. And my boys keep calling. Because yeah. <laughs> those are all on uh, airplane mode. So Sorry, guys. It's hitting my watch. <laughs> 
but even even in all of that stuff, I was able to fall back to the practices and discipline that was habit right. of being a good, healthy person. And there's like easy solutions. Yeah, and, and I'm just curious because I mean, you know, whether it's war, whether it's you know stress from that, whether it's stress from business, you know, things like that. You know, there's you know, and you've brought up a lot of good things, you know, I mean, your, your immediate family, your, you know, your, your next level of, you know, friends and things like that. Um, obviously whether you're healthy, you know, healthy or not. I mean, I think those all play a huge role into that. Um, you know, with that, what, um, and so with that based kind of around mindset and what's worked with you, what have you extracted from the military? Obviously you run your companies like military unit to some degree you had said but what have you what are some of those best pieces that you've extracted that you now apply to business general yeah. life things like that communication is a big one um, okay direct plain speak uh where so like what is that so i i want if i tell justin lakin um two i see he's the number two in charge right um this is what needs to happen and disseminate it and he goes and does that. I have to go to the lowest level, and if they don't understand what the end state is and the process of doing it, we've failed in communication. Mm. That is super military. And, okay. And so I don't have to go and talk to 55 people. I can go to talk to two and know if whether- got down there. Yeah, whether we were successful in communicating. Okay. So like I might've <clears throat> given an end state with a purpose, but if that's not communicated down to the last worker bee in the chain of command, who is equally as important as the top, right. then I am failing in communicating in leadership. So in plain speak, like not cool rad acronyms, you know, not like industry specific terms. You know, like does that person that puts something in a box understand what I set up here? Right. And uh, if they don't, I have a problem. Sure. I have the problem. He doesn't have the problem. There's nothing wrong with him. Mm. Um, there's a leadership and communication problem. So that, right. that's a big thing that I stole. And uh, and then obviously the organization, um, we are organized just like a military staff. And, uh, and then is the regimented discipline of schedule and practice. Okay. No, you know, I get Which up early, we, yeah. you know, I get a healthy <laughs> breakfast. Your, your morning routine. Yep, I make my bed. <laughs> um, I go and make breakfast for the kids. Uh, and then I go and get a rad workout and then I come back and my next three hours, the most productive time of my day, I take another little break, do a couple of calls and I come back and I work again. So like that cycle of maintaining a high level of efficiency, like th th I didn't invent that. Right. Right. Like <laughs> I looked at some really cool leaders and be like, huh, I see some similarities between these, <laughs> these prior three secretary of defenses. Maybe I'll steal something from this. Right. You know, like maybe I need a legit executive assistant, which they call an aide, and that aide needs to understand the industry and needs to know what I'm going to be doing as much as I am going to be doing them. Yes, I still need to go out and do it, but if he can come in and set me up to do that thing, then like how much easier is it for me to do more? Yeah, for sure. What um, I know you got a little bit of time left, and you got dinner with the family. So, yeah. <laughs> what um, in the UFC? Looking back, what's something you would, you're like, man, if I could just change this. Ooh, one thing? Okay, two. <laughs> oh, I gave you hundreds. I was fighting Jacques Array for the middleweight title. And 
he was touted as the the best grappler sure. in the world, you know, and um, and I was so apprehensive to like commit to 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 fighting him on the ground, and um, and then finally like the fourth or fifth round, I was like, forget this, like. I'm Tim F. and Kennedy. You know, I just like picked him up. I slammed him on his ear. Like the, the biggest, most climatic moment of the fight was me just picking him up and throwing him like a child. And and then it was that that was really just the like, I'm I'm just fighting. Right. And then when I went to fight Hodra Gracie, again, the same, it was like this echo. I'm like in this echo chamber of revisiting this exact same nightmare. I'm fighting Hodra Gracie. You know, like the, the next generation, best grappler sure. on the planet. And what do I do? I take him down and I smash him into oblivion on the ground. I beat the greatest grappler in the world, beating him up on the ground. And um, like, why couldn't I have done that for the world title? You know, like yeah. that would have been nicer. <laughs> and uh, and those were just like small adjustments mentally, just tiny little adjustments. I just made a choice to do something differently, and it would have gone, you know, world champion compared to like two-time loser. Big difference. Um, Yoel Romero is another big one. So yeah, I, was, yeah. I saw that one. <laughs> Same thing, um, you know, like this explosive, dangerous athlete, and we go back and forth. First round, super competitive. Second round happens, we're still coming back. I start landing bigger shots, bigger shots, bigger shots. End of the round, four minutes into the round, and I start landing these uppercuts. I put him on Weird Street, get him up against the, the fence, and I—he's unconscious. He's pinned up against the, the cage. He's falling down. I'm about to raise my hand. Bing! End of the round. I was like, ah, is that the end of the fight? Because John McCarthy pulls me off, big John. And I was like, is this the end of the fight or is that the end of the round? Did he get saved by the bell? Right, yeah. Oh, he got saved by the bell. Okay, not a problem. So I go back to my corner and I'm just like, I'm in the zone. I'm like a tiger just walking back and forth. Like I see my prey sitting there. I'm the apex predator. I'm going to eat that dude's face. And, um, And the rules are very, very clear. After the bell sounds, you have to go out and fight. And if you don't do that, the fight's over. Okay. So the bell sounds and nothing happens. To be specific, you have 10 seconds okay. to fight. And uh, bell sounds, he does get off his stool. It becomes famous or infamous as Stoolgate. And um, he does get off the, his stool and John McCarthy's over there. So I walk out to the center of the, to the octagon, mouthpiece in. I'm in like, let's do this, John McCarthy. And he's like, go back. And I was like, that's it, bro. That's the fight. Like, I know the rules. Yeah. Mouthpiece comes out. I start celebrating. I'm pointing at my corners. I find Dana White, and I was like, you're going to pay me. <laughs> Michael Bisbing is the current champion, oh, yeah. and I've already beaten the brakes off Michael Bisbing. Um, I'm the number, I think I was ranked number three or four on the planet, and okay. I just beat the number two dude on the planet. Who's fighting for the world title? I'm fighting for the world title. Who has the world title? Michael Bisbing. You're like, you talk about the easiest fight on the planet. I can beat him, you know, 25 Sundays out of every single Sunday. And... About 30 seconds later, John McCarthy calls me to come back out and fight, and I get blasted. Um, mentally, I'd already uh, left the fight. Yeah. You know, like, t- complete departure. You won it. You were gone. Yeah. yeah. Like, adrenaline dump, everything that could go wrong when you mentally... Now you're checked out. Yeah. And um, whether he... I, we all know he cheated, and he did it intentionally, and John McCarthy made, I, I argue, the biggest mistake of his whole entire fight, ruining my career and what would be the UFC champion. Um, I would have retired after UFC champion after I beat the brakes off of Michael Bisbing. Um, but instead, I lost that fight. And, um, and that was the kind of the beginning of me moving away from the UFC. Mm. Those are the two things I would have changed, is I would have fight and I would have fought Jacare just how I should have, which is just as a fight. 
And then uh, I would have stayed present and disciplined fighting Yoel Romero. Do you think that whole journey happened for a reason? Like to I mean, you're going you're, you're to make lemonade out of lemons, you know, <laughs> if, if you're doing things right. Would I have... Like, had I been a UFC champion, could I maybe be in a different position now? Maybe, maybe, maybe better, maybe, maybe worse. Um, one of my business partner partners, Nick Palmashano, he always argues that it was the best thing that could have happened to me because had I won, I would have stayed and I would have fought. Mm. And uh, I would have defended my title however many times I could have. Sure. And then after you get that loss, you know, oftentimes you get an immediate rematch. So now we're kicking that can of me retiring from fighting down the road three, four years. And that's, um, that's no good. Like that's brain damage and yeah. concussions and TBIs. <laughs> and was this pre or post um, deployment? And um, I deployed in my UFC career throughout the whole entire thing. Okay, so you were gone yeah. and off and on mm-hmm. throughout it and everything. Yeah. All right, so we got a little bit of time, a couple minutes left. Um, you say you had a new book coming out. Yeah. Any secrets you want to share? <sighs> Man. That uh, haven't told anybody yet from the book? Yeah, there, there, there is a cool one. Um, Sear School. If you've seen um, G.I. Jane, she had yeah. her shaved head, and um, she's on that little island. That was a cool movie to watch way was, back when. You know what I mean? Cool <laughs> and they're beating her. Um, that's a real school that every special operation guy has to go to. It's called Sear School. Survive, escape, resist, or survive, evade, resist, and escape. Mm-hmm. And um, most people, you know, you're malnourished. I mean, you're starved. Um, you're not getting sleep, and um, they're physically abusing you. I cheated. I found out where my evasion lane was going to be, and I went and I buried food. And um, this sounds really cool because, like, yeah, like I went into school at 215 pounds, and I graduated 215 pounds. That's unheard of. That's never happened ever. Um, but there was a guy in our team that was not special forces. He was in he was uh, an Air Force crew. Okay. Um, and they have to go through SEER school as well. And when they took our hoods off, when they started beating us in, in interrogation. And he started screaming that we had cheated and that we had buried food. Sear school just changed from a training event to a legitimate interrogation, where if they found out that I had cheated, that I had buried food, me and all of my colleagues would not be Green Berets. We'd never become special forces. We'd never go on to do fight in all the wars that we fought in. Um, and from that moment, it went from a fake school to a real interrogation. And... Um, it got real. Like, <laughs> wow. Um, yeah. So if there were 11 of us, um, 12 counting the Air Force guy that had um, said that we were cheating. And uh, if any of the 11 of us broke in, in, in what they call advanced interrogation techniques. Okay. <laughs> those are. Um, if any of us broke, then all of us would fail. All of us would get kicked out. All of us would leave special forces disgraced and never go to an ODA. Wow. Crazy. So get the book if you want to find out the rest of it. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> and that's just a training story. You know, like when you get into war, Iraq and Afghanistan, you know, I'm in Northwest and Northeast Africa, down in South America, counter human trafficking, counter drug, counter piracy, counter poaching, like, crazy so with uh trafficking and all that stuff you are you still doing stuff now with that yeah. okay because i know like 
back when I had my crushes, we, and this was before OUR got huge and Tony invested, like, you know, put money, like we were, we were raising money and, and putting it in. I mean, what can people, I mean, like that was kind of like my trying to con contribute to it mm -hmm. and help out. I mean, obviously with, it's huge right now, especially here in the United States and things like that. I mean, how can we do more for that? Yeah, um, and not just like donating, or not just you know. I guess yeah. I mean, of course can we... you can donate, and there are a lot of organizations that do a decent job. I don't think any of them do a great job, um, but the the thing that you can do that really makes an, a, a difference. The trafficked victims are coming from impoverished communities. Okay. The trafficked victims are coming from broken households and single parent, if there is a parent present. Mm. Like those are the ones that are being targeted by traffickers. Okay. Um, the, and the, and the, the targeting process is they're going into these poor communities and they're finding that 11, 12 year old girl that doesn't have a father present. Like the mom is working a ton, okay. you know, she's doesn't have, a, she's struggling in school. She might even drop out of school. Um, she has dropped out. I mean, that is the most ripe girl for picking for a trafficker. Mm. So what can you do? You can help children get educated. You can help poor communities. Um, you can build a community center. You can volunteer at the library or the YMCA. You can go to your local church and find out what community outreach programs they have. That makes a massive difference. That's an ounce of prevention. So like mm -hmm. going in and kicking in a door and grabbing a girl, you just rescued one girl. Sure. You start a community center, you might save hundreds of girls. It's a totally different approach. That paradigm has to be shift. That needs to be shifted in the perception of what it means to make a difference in human trafficking. Right. It's really like the community involvement to go and get active. Go open a self-defense school and teach a girl what it looks like to a young woman, what it feels like to be empowered and to have mm. honor and to have integrity and to understand morals. And that guy, that 19-year-old guy that's talking to her on Snapchat and that's hitting her up on TikTok, like, f that guy. Yeah. You know, like that's a piece of Right. Yeah, but she doesn't know that because like this is the first time that a guy has given her any attention and uh, she has yeah. no idea that, that that he's only nine years older than her. He's going to, he's going to, he's going to kidnap her and she's going to be raped for the next 10 years until she dies. And, and now I, it's interesting you mentioned, I mean, our church, we put together a big program and for they, when people come back, they, you know, help, help them, um, reacclimate to society. And, um, but then on the other end too, a whole center to help um that specific you know impoverished areas and things like that yeah. and that's the first time i've ever kind of heard that other direction of it yeah. go to el paso go to Juarez, and open a gym and then let poor people work out there for free and start a community program teaching self-defense to elementary grade girls through middle school and figure out a way to fund it um go find a a girl, a mom that is working at a strip club, find out who her kids are and buy them a meal. Those will make differences. Awesome. And real quick, uh, sheepdog response. Yeah, here we go. <laughs> I know. That's why I'm down here yeah. again. <laughs> I'm going to mess you up. Um, you know, I guess tell us a little bit about sheepdog response, what you got going on. Um, we're talking about being a protector. 
and all that good stuff. Yeah, so, so all the things I just said to do, <laughs> we do. Um, and uh, so we travel the nation. We're going to do 160 self-defense courses throughout this whole entire country. Wow. Um, this year alone. And um, yeah, the 160 <laughs> yeah. courses, That's like 40 <laughs> people per course, sold out courses everywhere that we go. With the staff from um, Matt Smith to Justin Jones to Justin Lakin, Travis Lloyd. I mean, these are, you know, Delta Force, um, two-time team sergeant, sergeant majors from special forces. Mm -hmm. Like, that's just like the, the run-of-the-mill <laughs> guys that are out there teaching. Um, our female instructors, I think, are the best and brightest on the planet, best shooters, best fighters, black belts, um, professional fighters. And we go out and we try and empower the individual, giving them the tools to be able to preserve and protect human life. Back to force multiplication. I would love to be in the next movie theater where somebody comes in to do a shooting, right? Mm -hmm. I'm like, ha! <laughs> you know, all, the, all these people that have yeah. gone through the program. Well, I mean, if I was there. If you were there, oh. oh there'd be there. so much fun. <laughs> you know, like, you that dude can't, he's not so. even holding the gun right. You know, like, oh, I'm going to go shoot him now. <laughs> oh, you're going to throw some smoke? Oh, no, not smoke. You know, uh, but that's not going to happen. Sure. Instead, I'm training thousands and thousands of people that will be in that movie theater mm -hmm. and they're going to respond the exact same way they're the same they're just like you cut from the same cloth with the same purpose they're the same people they're going to have the same plan yep. they're going to look at that person and be like uh -uh -uh, not today <laughs> today you're going to last thing you're going to see is the blood leaving your body as you lose consciousness sorry and on that note <laughs> Where can they get more information about you, Sheepdog, yeah. everything you got going on? Sheepdogresponse.com is the website. Um, Sheepdog Response on all the social medias. And I'm Tim Kennedy MMA, just the verified one. There's a ton of fake phishing scammers out there. <laughs> just go to the verified one with like a million something followers. Just like do that one. And it's the one there he's posting workouts because I grab them and I try to do them. <laughs> uh, did you do the one from and yesterday? You, no. It was super easy. Like you could do it here. No, I, I didn't even see the one from yesterday. Oh, it's yet, horrible. So. It was at the two mile run. Yeah, two mile oh, run. With yeah, the I just belt. saw it this morning. Yeah, yeah, the two mile run. I did it then... yesterday, but we posted. I posted it gotcha. this morning. Okay, so no, I'm not going to be doing it because I know what the next couple of days. Just are. do it. <laughs> just go do. It. What are you going to do tonight? It's five forty five. Well, maybe I have yeah. time for a workout. Plenty of two time. mile runs easy. So easy, cheesy. <laughs> you just got to get the fourteen pound kettlebell. Yeah, <laughs> the, yeah right there. Right there. That box. Perfect. <laughs> the box with me. All right, guys. Uh, Tim Kenny, appreciate you coming on Making Bank today. You guys, make sure you guys rewind, watch this again, go back, take those notes. Tim was dropping some amazing fire, tons of insights. Uh, we dove into a little bit of his background, great things like that, as well as look out for his book. It's coming out here sometime soon, and uh, you can find the rest of the story there. So, Tim, thanks again for coming on Making Bank. Appreciate pleasure, your time man. today. Absolutely. I am Josh Felber. You were watching Making Bank. Get out and be extraordinary. Thank you for listening to Making Bank. If you have enjoyed this episode, please leave a review. And sharing is caring. Follow Josh Felber on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram for more. You can also listen to Making Bank on Amazon Alexa, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and watch on Apple TV, Success Thinkers Network, Amazon Fire, and YouTube.